This is episode 760 of the Pixelated Sausage Podcast. I think that's right. I'm going to check it right now because that makes for great radio. This is, of course, though, the Pixelated Sausage Podcast. And I am, of course, your host, Mark Kush Nez. Today I will be talking about a ground, ultra goodness, two, golden force, firework, pixel ripped 1995, and summer catch. Now what episode is it? You're asking yourself, I know you're asking yourself, what episode is it? It is 760. I was right and took you on this roller coaster of a ride for no real reason because that's just how I roll when rolling on a rolling coaster. (laughs) A rolling coaster. Anywho, so I have nothing to talk about in terms of news or anything else. The Hitman 3 update would be that in the forum post with their known issues, the whole mastery lost for people like myself is still listed as known, and that is it. They're not working on a solution or any updates on that front, which is disappointing unless they haven't updated that post in terms of how far they are with each of these issues that they are still working on. But yeah, that hasn't stopped me from playing it. I I have been going back to it pretty regularly, but just not playing those two levels because I'm frustrated even though they will seemingly add some way to add a way of getting that lost mastery, whether resetting the challenges there, adding new challenges, doing some double XP thing or, or something that will help those people out. Because I feel like it's going to be real hard for them to just give people the XP from the challenges that are already shown up as completed, but that XP is not there. But I could be wrong. I don't know. I also have been, for the last, I don't know, month or so, especially conscious of when listening to podcasts, ums and uhs and stuff of that sort. And it's become really distracting, especially when somebody does it 10 times in a minute or so. It's something that is very common both in podcasts and just in regular speech. It is a natural occurrence to break up that thought process between sentences and, well, it's just thoughts. And it's something that I try my best to stop or to avoid doing, to not do. And I think I'm okay at it. There are things that I know I do do that are kind of do-do in that they are poo-poo. Like saying, you know, more than I would like. And I want to change that. I want to remove a lot of things that are just these repetitive words that we use in such situations when when we're left thinking about this or that. And we just want to break up the silence with some word or some sound. I do oddly think that uh is significantly less annoying than um and i don't know if there is any scientific explanation to that because it's just uh versus um 
<laughs> U-M. <laughs> U-M. And for whatever reason, I find uh, maybe it's because uh just sounds, well, like a sound. And um is a word. And it's got more of that harsh end to it. Um. Um. And uh is just sort of this open thing that more naturally flows into whatever the next bit of words are. But yeah, I'm I'm someone who prefers if you just don't say uh or um and let there be silence. But that may be something that more people don't like to just be left in silence. So yeah, that is something that I've been way more conscious of when listening to podcasts and it sucks i wish i wasn't because it does somewhat take away from the listening experience it is distracting and it may be because i have my own podcast i've been podcasting now for 13 years so i'm very used to it or i'm more aware of everything that goes into podcasting and all this shit and also i wonder if the fact that i have been podcasting by myself for a few shows at least or this one specifically since attack the backlog has become a scripted show and on amazingly baka i do with my friend i wonder though with this show having done 760 episodes all by myself and if you didn't know this spoiler the theme song or the the opening song and the also ending song it, it continues at the end of the podcast is dancing with myself, which I picked because I am podcasting with myself. Fun fact, if you didn't already know that. I probably mentioned that years ago, but you've been updated with the same knowledge. But I do wonder if the fact that I have been podcasting with myself and just myself for so long and not having another person to go off of and pass the baton to while I take a breather to collect my thoughts about this or that has helped me be better at talking and filling those gaps without resorting to us and ums and stuff like that. Uh, or I may not be better at all. It may just all be in my head. But I feel like, I feel like I'm better at that. So yeah, I, ho I hope that's true. And it's funny, too, because I, in person, if I don't know you, if I, if I know you, I can converse fine. But if I don't know you, I'm probably going to be very, very quiet. And, and I won't have anything to talk about. Also, I, no matter who you are, I really don't care about talking about myself. Whenever somebody's like, oh, how have you been? What have you been up to? I'm like, eh, I'm fine. I haven't really been doing much. And, and and that's in part two because I'm a very boring person. I eat the same food every single day. And when I say that, I mean literally the same three meals every day. Because I, I don't live to eat. I eat to live. I enjoy what I eat. But unless I'm going out to eat with people for whatever reason, usually to celebrate. Not usually to celebrate something, but I, I will never go out to eat of my own accord. It has to be because these friends want to hang out or this person wants to celebrate something. I have no interest in going out to eat. I like the food I eat on my own. I like cooking my own food. 
I, I just like cooking in general. I like cooking for others. I will cook a vast array of different types of foods for people. But for myself, same shit every day. But yeah, I'm just, I'm a boring person. I don't really like going out. I am uncomfortable around people I don't know. So yeah. The one thing I miss from the whole lockdown situation is going to the Art Institute. I used to do that at the the most once a week, but at the very least once a month. And I just, I loved doing that so much. I find it, nah, I, I guess, inspiring, but I don't want to say inspiring because I feel like even saying that makes me sound pretentious, and I think I'm one of the least pretentious people. I, that's a very dangerous thing to say. <laughs> but I, I, I don't put, I don't put value in the stuff I make, which you could say is not pretentious, or you could say you lack self-confidence, and you should look into that. But really, with my art and everything, there's no thought behind it. There's no deeper meaning behind any of the stuff I do. I don't put any of that. If, if you get something out of the stuff I make, whether it's art or I, I, who gets anything out of a podcast, really? You can get some enjoyment, but like, are you getting anything substantial? Come on. Come on. But, uh, yeah. That's a, that's enough of a rambly tangent for this episode. We're, we're, we're good to go to the, the, the main show. Also, the episode of the Quiet Man for attack the backlog came out and i'm i'm happy to have it out there and it's 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 funny because i have gotten plenty of feedback from people just asking me about what i was thinking when they listened to it or telling me how the quiet man broke me or asking me to say the quiet man one more time and it's been fun seeing the reactions of people because it is just a nonsensical episode. I do talk about the game for real, maybe like five minutes into it. I don't know. I don't I don't want to watch that episode ever again. But I, I had a lot of fun making it, which makes up somewhat for the fact that I had no fun playing it. What a miserable fucking experience. I hated that fucking game. Yeah, the... The next episode, which won't be this weekend, but next weekend, is still a mystery. Don't know what it's going to be. I have one finished episode, which is The Sands of Time, of course, which I've talked about. And then seven finished scripts. And I'm working on game number eight. So, yeah. I've got a lot of work to do with Adapt the Backlog in terms of putting these episodes together. But I don't think any of them are overly long except maybe what is the game that I actually talked about more than I expected I don't know it doesn't matter anywho so a ground is and uh for all these games I played on well not all these games I can't even say that a ground I guess I'll just <laughs> I'll talk about them and what they're on or what I play them on one by one because there are three platforms here. A ground I played on Xbox One, and it is an 
not an adventure game. It is a like survival adventure game that is a uh, that's a 2D side scrolling experience, very much so like Terraria, except <laughs> way zoomed in. That just sounded weird, like rawr. Like I'm a, I'm a little I'm a little lion. Terraria, rawr. I'm 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 gone. This episode is going to be an episode, but. Ground is a survival game where you play it from a 2D side-scrolling perspective. It has very chunky, zoomed-in pixel art, which gives the impression that it's a mobile game that was blown up for the big screen. So it's not a pretty game. The way it works is that you end up shipwrecked on this island or whatever, and then you have to collect resources. You start off by creating this cabin so that you have somewhere warm at night, then you run into a person... And I don't know how it differs if they force themselves in your group regardless of what you do. But you do have some dialogue choices when you are talking with your fellow camp members. And ones that seemingly would keep them from joining your group. But I feel like that wouldn't actually work since so many of them or all of them are giving you quests that lead to you building very crucial, not story bits but structures that are crucial to you advancing your ability to survive and continue your path to whatever getting off the island so the first person you run into gives you the blueprint or gives you this quest to collect enough resources to create a storage center so that you can put all your stuff there and not carry it all on you because you don't have at the get-go the ability to hold a lot of stuff you you level up there's an rpg element to it as well from doing everything whether it's killing animals chopping down trees mining etc all the stuff is adding to your experience and you'll level up periodically at least early on pretty quickly and you get uh, you'll get skill points that you can put into like 12 or so skills there are, there are a bunch of things but the crucial ones at least early on, are probably stamina and weight. So your ability to work through the night and your ability to carry a lot before having to go back and dump it off at the storage center. Then you run into some other people who will teach you how to craft items and give you a crafting table. So like all these people that you're running into, I think even though there are options to maybe push them away, I do think they'll probably end up sticking around regardless then there's also this element of which is why i'm curious about the group dynamic where people will start stealing stuff from your storage room and that is an interesting aspect of it because it makes me think well if i decline this person's help or if i said i don't want to offer them shelter would I still be losing this stuff? Who is losing this stuff? Will I find out a way to figure out who's doing it? So I'm I'm intrigued by that stuff. But it is very simple and straightforward. It is very easy, at least early on. And then a part of why it feels like it was a mobile game ported to consoles is that especially noticeable when mining and all that the movement and everything feels very grid based so when you are mining 
if there's a big open space, it's not like SteamWorld Dig where you are mining one block at a time. And if there's an open space, you can jump freely in there and you can fall and all that kind of stuff. No, if there's an open space of already mined area, you can just move around it one block at a time, one space at a time as if it was flat like that you were looking at it from an over-the-top perspective and not from a side perspective, which I do like in that it makes it less complicated in, in terms of having to create some kind of pathway to return to the surface. But it, it, it definitely does make it a lot easier and simpler. So the mining aspect of it is kind of a brain death thing like it's very light it's a very light survival game uh, both you know in the visuals how simplistic they are in the leveling system and the combat system which is just use whatever weapon you have like you can have a weapon probably at some point or you just use an axe that you also use for trees there are degradable weapons or items tools but I think all your main basic tools are permanent. I, I don't know if you will eventually be able to craft extra strong stuff that doesn't degrade. But it's all right. The only thing I, I really would say is going against it are the visuals. It is a very... It's not so much that it's ugly. It just is simple and basic and looks like it's suited for a small screen. It's probably on the Switch and I feel like it would look best and play best and be best on the handheld, on the Switch itself or a Switch Lite. It feels like it would be at home there. And if if the Vita was still a thing, if this game came out however many years ago, it'd be a great Vita game. But uh, yeah, that is a ground which I played on Xbox One as I did a 4, or I played on the Series X. Oh, God, you know what I mean. The next game is Ultra Goodness 2, which is a twin-stick shooter that, oh, man, I'm not really fond of. It is more zoomed in than I would like, and it could get really hectic, so there could be a lot of explosions and shit going on on screen that makes it hard to see what is going on and where you are in correlation to all of the nonsense and shit going on the shooting feels fine you're a person i'm pretty sure I, I think you're this person who is watching tv and someone has made all the animals into assholes and then you got to go fucking kill all the animals you kill a lot of bunnies in it if you don't want to kill a lot of bunnies and it's bloody it's super cartoony but it's also super bloody and you have like this little hovering cat fellow with you who you can upgrade and change the way your bullet projectiles work uh, as you gain coins and when you unlock more of these you can only have one equipped at a time but then you can change between them the ones you've unlocked on the fly in game but it just it, it doesn't feel that great and I think the problem is my high bar for Twin stick shooters on consoles, at least, and, and of this era are the, I hope this is the right publisher, the 10 tons limited games. So the 
Crimson Land. What was it? Neon Chrome. What is the most recent one? Tesla versus Lovecraft. The two Tesla Lovecraft games. Judgment. And I think there was one more there. Those are my high bars for playability with Twin Six Shooters and just the overall systems and mechanics of them. I think they are the kings of Twin Six Shooters. The kings, the queens, the the royalty, the champions of Twin Six Shooting in the the modern era. <laughs> and Ultra Goodness 2 is somewhere in the middle. It's not terrible or anything, but the the more zoomed-in perspective does hurt it, and it just doesn't feel as satisfying to play. It's it's not terrible. It is a Rada Like a Games game, so it is five bucks, I believe, and you can get your achievements real real easy. It's level based as well, so you have a certain number of enemies to clear out of the space, and then you finish it and progress to the next level. You can replay levels, etc. But yeah, not. The biggest fan of it. Golden Force is an action platformer with really, really nice pixel art. And the jumping feels pretty good. Story is okay, fine. And and the combat, when you're hitting an enemy, is pretty satisfying. The problem is, I wish there were more invincibility frames or something that was changed with the combat because it's... At least with the character I played, you can you can switch between four different characters and play two-player co-op with uh, only two people. I don't know why I had to specify that when I said two-player co-op, but you can have two-player co-op as well. But the character I've played is solely melee-based. I'm not sure if there are any that are ranged as well, or if some of them maybe have a wider range with their melee but with the character i'm playing as who is the main character or at least the, the character you start off with in the first level as the kind of tutorial thing when you're on the ship and fighting a few enemies and then taking on this boss the the combat while satisfying has you getting so close in on these enemies and if you just touch them when you're not attacking you will take damage. And there is a dash ability, and you can dash through most enemies, I believe. But even then, if you dash, and it's like maybe they said the dash doesn't take you far enough, and there should be maybe also a second of invincibility at the end of a dash. But dashing to try and avoid taking damage, I could run into another enemy that damages me. I could maybe dash through an enemy and still touch the back of them and take damage. And there are all these ways that you end up taking damage that are really frustrating and make the overall experience a bit shitty. And it sucks because I like so much of it. And also, maybe I'm remembering wrong, or I don't know, but the way the checkpoint systems work is weird in that you can go through a level collecting all these gold coins and these like special gold brick things, whatever that are in every level. I think there may be like three of them per level, 
when you die and restart at a checkpoint, you lose most, if not all of those, which is just weird. You'd think that you would lose any gold and whatnot you've collected since the last checkpoint, not all the gold and stuff you've collected throughout the entire level when being restarted at a checkpoint. I don't know if that is the intention, a bug, or what, but that on top of the fact that you can have these cheap feeling deaths because of the way your hitbox works and all that stuff, it makes what could have been a really fun game incredibly frustrating. So it's a a real bummer because I see so much potential in it. I like a lot of Golden Force, but there are just these few aspects of it that really take away from the whole experience, and and that's too bad. I, I don't know if any of these things will change with updates or not, but as it stands, I'm... I'm pretty bummed out. It's probably the the most disappointing game of all the ones I've played because of it. I, I see the most potential in it that isn't fully realized. So, yeah. Then Firework is another action-adventure game where you're playing as some dude who has a short-firing water ice gun and you are working at this I don't know, tech company with all these little robot dudes. And then a a bunch of fire people or whatever are trying to take it over. This story did nothing for me. And yeah, you know, another thing I'd like to stop doing saying and so so much, but what are you going to do? You're going to, you're going to change. That's what you're going to do. Mark, you're going to change. You're going to change the way you talk so that things are structured in a way that you don't have to say and so damn much. But Firework, I played this on Xbox One as well. Don't know if I said that about Golden Force. Play that on Xbox One as well. And when I say Xbox One, I mean the Series X, of course. Speaking of the Series X, Ultra Goodness 2 is enhanced for the Series consoles. How so? I don't know. Because it's, you know, a simple, basic-ass game. I said, you know, you know how I talked about not wanting to do that at the top of the show? But I don't think I've said you know a whole bunch of times, except for now when I'm talking about not saying you know and and having now said you know a whole bunch of times. You know what I'm saying? But Firework doesn't look great. I I don't like the aesthetic. It's very bland. It's very boring. And mechanically, it's okay, but I'm not feeling it or the few boss fights I've encountered or the jump like it it just hasn't done anything to grab me at all so i can't can't really recommend that too highly and then pixel ripped 1995 is a vr game that i played on the oculus quest 2 this came out a while ago but i got a code for it and i knew of it and that it was playing off nostalgia and stuff, but I didn't know how it was structured entirely. Also, I have no experience with Pixel Ripped 1989, I believe is the first one, so I can't compare and contrast them or 
what I say about 1995, maybe things that are all in 89, and people are like, oh, that's not really that different or unique, so I don't know what the big deal is. Keep that in mind. But Pixel Rip 1995 is a game about nostalgia, very much so, which you may have been able to figure out, given the title and having that year in it, and breaking the fourth wall. So you start off as this pixel-ass character inside a Game Boy-looking world, in that it has that color scheme, that green and black. And you're playing this handheld game with your pixely hands, and you go through it, you finish it, it's like five minutes, if that, very, very simple and basic. And then things in your world start to break apart as a character, and that comes out, and that starts messing with you, and you transition to this new pixel area that is really colorful and vibrant and beautiful, and then you have to, in order to defeat this big bad, team up with a human in the real world in order to defeat the big bad, because you can't do it on your own. You need the, the power, the help of a top player. And so you make this contract with them. They don't know any of this is going on. The boy you end up inhabiting. But you you make this contract, whatever. And you transition into their body. And start playing this game that uh, the, the bad is in. In your SNES type console. And you're now in this 3D space. This living room that is very... Realistic, but cartoony. The, the 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 aesthetic of the the space environment looks pretty good, but the the people are all on the more cartoony side. And the way that plays out is that you're playing this game that feels sort of like a twin stick shooter, Zelda like, except it's not a twin stick shooter in in, in how you control it. You're not shooting or aiming with an analog stick you're just shooting in whatever direction you're moving which means that bit doesn't control that well but while you're playing this game your mother comes home first you're interrupted by this neighbor kid who i'm guessing is one of your next door neighbors who's an annoying piece of crap and he's meant to be an annoying piece of crap you're not supposed to like him and you could just ignore him but when your mom gets home she's like what are you doing are you still playing them video games it's so nice out you got all these things you could do and you're already playing this video game this early in the day. Why don't you go outside and, and be like the neighbor kid who then goes on, I'm going to go help a bunch of old women. Yeah, because I'm a good boy. And she gets on the phone, starts talking to someone. And I feel like Anne is just, it's got to be there. What else am I going to do? But she eventually gets annoyed with you continuing to play. And tries to turn off your console. Which she will do if you don't distract her. And the way you distract her is by shooting a bunch of boxes of food on top of the fridge. Or a cookie jar or stuff like this. That will make it fall to the ground. And she will then go and clean it up. And this is the way to stop her from turning off your console. So that you'd have to restart at the last checkpoint you reached. And you're doing all this. Going through all of it. And it's 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 fine. It's kind of cool and interesting to be playing this game with this outside influence that you have to deal with 
But when it really gets interesting is when the mother leaves. If the father comes home with the Christmas tree as well. But when they leave, you'll eventually get to the end of this level in this game. And you think you're going to defeat the boss in the game or whatever. But he, they, whoever they are, this big old head thing, breaks out of the game, breaks the cartridge and everything, and overtakes your entire living room and creates this little arena space where then the character you were playing in-game, you control now on the living room floor, and there's a boss you have to fight. And you also have to, every now and again, pick up this toy gun, which you, you pulled out of the game. It came out of the game, which is what you used to distract your mother as well. But during the boss fight, you will have to shoot these Jenga towers to do, I don't know what. I don't, I don't know if it was actually did anything, but I, I knew I could shoot them because when I picked up the gun, it gave you a little targeting symbol on them. So I figured I should do that because they're, they're going to be bad news for some reason. Or maybe if I tricked the, the boss into walking near them, I could have done more damage at one time. But the fight transitions to your living room floor. And it's really cool to then have this game you were playing move to this open space and feel much more alive and, of course, 3D because it's in this space and not on a screen because you're just playing the game on the screen. And I, I like that. I like that aspect of it. I like it when the games you're playing because everything starts off with you just playing it in normal fashion, whether it's at home, in your living room, in your bedroom, at a rental store where there are two kiosks that you have to transition back and forth between, which is kind of neat. And you'll have these various distractions and people talking to you and, and things you have to worry about outside of the game. But when the game itself makes its way to the real world, in the game, not the real, real world. It's cool. The thing, though, that is most disappointing is that I would love to play a game inside that pixel world because those are just these little story beats where you're in the pixel world and have to transition to the next area or whatever. And those, those areas, or just that world, it looks incredible. This is one of the best-looking games I've played on the Quest 2. And maybe it's because of the pixel visuals and that they're not as hard to do. But the vibrancy, the colors pop so much. There's so much vibrancy and color there. It looks really good. And I want to play a game in there. Or I just want to be able to explore a world like that. I would, I would love to play something like Stardew Valley with that aesthetic then this open 3d pixel art space to just have some nice relaxing game that you could play with those visuals oh it would look great it i i just i can't speak highly enough about how beautiful i thought those little bits of the game are and then the the real world sections look pretty good too but when you are able to just be in that pixel world and look around and just see everything, it looks really cool. It is reminiscent of how taken aback I was when I first saw Octopath Traveler and how it added a new layer, some new depth to pixel art by you know, adding shadows and new lighting 
and and just depth to the world and it has that same vibe to it so i i dig it a lot and then the game itself is solid the the the, the quality of the games you're playing on the consoles varies the second game you play is a side scroller and it feels significantly better than the over the top not twin stick twin stick shooter thing so not all the games feel a bit rough around the edges but overall i i really enjoyed my time with pixel ripped 1995 and then the last game i'm not going to talk too much about but it's summer catch <clears throat> so this game that i just called summer catch is actually called summer catcher so from this point on every time you hear summer catch just imagine just just imagine go with me here imagine i'm saying summer catchers but again after you listen to this it won't matter because as it stands right now maybe don't pick up summer catchers anywho back to the show I've been playing this on Switch, but I haven't been playing much because it is an endless runner, as far as I know, for the entirety of the game. But it has crashed on me four times in a row very early on in the game. And what makes that incredibly frustrating is that it crashes pretty much always around the same time after I go through the tutorial and then about... Four choices into the Endless Runner bit where I have to pick my action. If I'm going to jump, I'm going to boost or whatever, it crashes. And when I reboot the game up, it doesn't start me off after the tutorial. It starts me off at the very beginning of the game. So I have to wake up out of the snow then I have to walk over to this wolf or whatever. And then I have to go through the tutorial every single time. And that may only be a few minutes but it's enough of an annoyance to not make me want to play any more of it at this point. But from what I have played, the way the game works is that, and it has beautiful pixel art. The, the pixel art in this game is gorgeous. This may be the prettiest game of all the ones I've played this week, which makes it a super bummer that I, I, I just can't play it. But also, I'm not overly fond of what I have played of it. It's an endless runner where you are driving this makeshift vehicle that's made out of cardboard or whatever. It's not like a super fancy car. It's made out of wood. I don't know. It's really simple. But you're driving along and you will, every now and again, every whatever, a few seconds, you will reach a point and on this train, it'll tell you what you need to do in order to get through this obstacle. So it'll have the icon on screen and it could be to boost through something to jump through something or whatever. There are a handful of other ones as well. And you have to press, if you're playing it handheld mode, you can use the touchscreen or you can use the buttons as well. But you you press or you push the, the A button when you're on the action that you want to perform and they will do it. If you don't have the action as one of your three available, you can press, I believe, the Y button to swap something out or swipe the screen to swap something out. I find the swiping of the screen to be both inaccurate and not as snappy as it should be. So I found that to be frustrating. And in just the little time I've played with it, given that it's crashed on me 
multiple times. And yeah, I, I don't know how I feel about this system because I would have rather just had it be these buttons all do these things. I think part of the reason why they are doing it this way is because in the end you will have more than, say, four actions to do. And so putting them on more than just the face buttons may get confusing and people will have to remember what all these buttons do. But I would have preferred it if there was a way to just play it where all the various things you could do are assigned to different inputs. But instead, they went this route, which is, which is a creative choice. And it's just one that I'm not jiving with. But again, it's something I could maybe get used to, get accustomed to, if I was able to play it without it crashing on me so early on over and over and over again. But uh, yeah, that, that is a summer catch. I play that on Switch again. And at least the Switch version, for me, can't say this across the board, has been problematic in terms of crashing. But that will do it for this here episode of the Pixelated Sausage Podcast. Once again, I am Mark Krishnes. Y'all can find me on Twitter and pretty much everywhere at PX Sausage. The site is, of course, pixelatedsausage.com, where you can find this podcast on Amazingly Baca and Attack the Backlog, all of which are available on podcast services across the globe. You can also check out the videos for a few of the shows on youtube.com slash pixelated sausage. And if you like the art or if you want to check out the art I make and see if you like it, you can check that out on the site. And if you see something you like, you can purchase a print of the piece you fancy. And if you fancy the site in general and anything that we do, please go over to patreon.com slash pxs and support us that way. As always, Thank you for listening. I hope you enjoyed this here episode, and I hope you have a wonderful, wonderful rest of your day and an absolutely lovely weekend. Bye.